if you're not, I can think of some worse places to be. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, obviously we're learning about spiritual warfare. Stand with me when you get there, if you would. Learning about spiritual warfare tonight. And um, we're going to continue this as we go through Ephesians 6. And we've looked at this from a lot of different angles. And we've talked about uh, a lot of different uh, 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 areas of spiritual warfare. We've talked about the mind. And uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the heart. We're going to get into that. But uh, we're going to go through every piece of the armor. And uh, you're going you're to find, some, I think, some interesting things here. There's only one offensive piece, all right? That, that's the sword of the Spirit. Uh, er- everything else is defensive. All right, look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the pieces of armor that you feel like on the days that you wake up and feel saved. It's not what it says, but it's how you live. That's the problem. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what wiles are? Some of you are too young to know. who. Anybody know who Wiley Coyote is? All right. He's sneaky. He's subtle. The first time the word subtle shows up in your King James Bible, it's a reference to the serpent. And uh, the next time it shows up, it's a reference to Amnon. And uh, actually, his friend Jonadab, excuse me, Amnon had a friend, and his name was Jonadab, and he was a very subtle man. And uh, you say, what was Jonadab all about? Well, Jonadab gave Amnon really terrible advice. Why? Because he was in it for something himself. He was trying to get as close to the throne as he could. And if you can get Amnon out of the way, you go, what does that have to do with my life or spiritual warfare? The devil's very subtle. And if he can knock you out, he gets closer to getting in God's face and going, see what I did? All right. And so you have to be uh, 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 aware of that. Understand that the devil is a wily creature. Watch out for the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now, when Paul wrote this, he was not writing to uh, people that watch WWE or WWF or any of that stuff, any of that, you know, Hollywood. It was, you know, Greco-Roman stuff. And uh, that's a real sport. (laughs) And, and so I'm not, if, look, if you're in a WWE, God bless you, whatever. But, uh, but the, the Greco-Roman sport, there's a discipline to it. And um, you know what you don't want? You don't want to end up on your back. And so you know what you want to do when you're wrestling? You want to keep a low center of gravity. And it, what you're always, you know when those guys get in, they start slapping. You say, what are they trying to do? Trying to get leverage. And you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to get leverage on you. And so you're told we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling each other. The problems you think are with your spouse are not just with your spouse. The problems you think are with another church member are often not just with another church member. The problems that you think that you have maybe with a coworker. I've seen Christians lose it on a lost coworker. That's not going to help you in your, your testimony for Jesus Christ. You see, there's a spiritual thing going on in every area of your life, especially once you're a believer. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 14. I'm sorry, but the end of verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, this is this constant repetition of the word stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Felix if you would open us up in a word of prayer tonight, sir. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. There's a there's four truths just by way of introduction that I think are good to review. Uh, and, and by the way, I feel the need to say this. If you've been saved for any amount of time, you're going to you're going to hear messages in church uh, or subjects in church repeated over and over. Hopefully it's like when you're reading your Bible and you read a verse and you go, man, that verse wasn't there before. Oh, it was there. But now you're seeing it for the first time in that light. Anybody ever been there? And you almost go like, man, that book is alive. It keeps moving around on me, right? And hopefully, if you've been saved for any amount of time and in church, even though you've heard the subject matter before, you're able to get something out of it that you didn't see before. Now, let me also throw this your way, all right? Uh, Let me say this. Not every message is going to be 100% for you. 
I, have a, I know this is kind of a hard thought, uh, a thought but, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but not everything in the world is about you. And so sometimes you come to hear a message, go, I didn't get as much out of it, but somebody else is dying on the vine. They go, I needed exactly that subject. And, and if you live long enough as a Christian, you learn to appreciate going over things. Now, look, Alex is going to be a teacher. One of the ways that you learn things is by repetition, over and over. You know, I hear people say all the time, I've heard that before, explain it. Buh, buh, buh. And, until you're at the place where you can explain it, maybe you need to hear it again. Until you're at the place where you can live it out, maybe you need to hear it again. How about this? If I, were, if I went over to you, you gentlemen that are, that are, uh, are married, and I, I went over to Ephesians 5, and I taught on husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church. How many of you that are saved men have heard that verse before? That are married, raise your hand. All right, ra- all right. How many of you guys live it out perfectly? Okay, let's keep learning about it, shall we? You understand what I'm saying? So, so sometimes repeating a... Su- now, when I talk about husbands loving your wives, I expect a little bit more of a response from you ladies. Can I get a witness, ladies? Okay, there we go. When you, when, when you come to church, though, there are areas that should be repeated. You understand? I'll give you an example. Paul, uh, over there in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this is not a trick question. A real simple question. Uh, the Corinthians, the, the letter that Paul writes to Corinth, is that written to lost people or saved people? Saved, would you say? Yeah. If, you don't, if you're not sure, go to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1. It'll say, to the saints which are in Corinth. Question, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. What does he talk about? I heard that. I heard it. The gospel. Why would he talk about the gospel to save people? You know why? Because every once in a while, you need to be reminded of the sewer that God drug you out of. Every once in a while, it's going to go back and go, man, if it wasn't for the grace of God, <laughs> look where my life would be. Look what I would be without, without the riches of his grace. I, I, I'll give you another one. Uh, over there in Romans chapter 4 and 5, you know what he talks about? Being justified by faith. To people who are already justified by faith, why does he do that? He does it because they need to be grounded in that truth. They need to be not removed from the simplicity, as Brother Spurgeon mentioned, from the simplicity that is in Christ. When it comes to spiritual warfare, I know this. If you've been saved for any amount of time, you've read Ephesians 6. You've heard a message on it, maybe a Bible study on it. But it's good to repeat it over and over and over. Why? Because you're still not winning every battle. And it's good to go over and go, man, I need this because this is the area of my life where I'm a little bit vulnerable. You know what it would take for someone to say, I don't have any vulnerability in the area of spiritual warfare? A lot of pride. If you're honest with yourself, if you're a born-again child of God, you know what you come away with when you get in that book? Lord, I don't know everything I think I know. (laughs) And Lord, I'm not all that I think I... You know, I heard this years ago. Here's how it goes. It goes like this. You are not uh, what you think you are. But what you think, comma, you are. You know, we oftentimes think, well, I can handle that. You watch someone else go through a trial, I wouldn't handle it that way. You don't know. You don't know. I remember years ago, I watched a pastor go through a situation where his wife died of cancer, and, and, and he, he was just a, a broken mess. Who wouldn't be a broken mess after that? And, and by the way, every move you make when you're in the public eye, whether you're a pastor or some other leader, everyone's watching, everyone's got an opinion on how I would do it. You're not it. So keep your mouth shut and pray for the man, right? But a lot of people couldn't do that. So you know, on top of losing his wife, you know what he received? A lot of condemnation and criticism from the brethren who knew what they would do if they were there. You better be real careful with that. And let me just tell you this right now. When you want someone else to go through a trial, you know what you ought to say? God, pour your grace out on them. And Lord, if I ever go through that, would you help me get through it as well? Your battle's coming someday. And listen, the reason we're going over this is because Americans are generally, American Christians are generally very ignorant of the subject of spiritual warfare. And so it's important to go over it again. Uh, let me say this. Number one, it's a reality, all right? It is a, spiritual warfare is not like this pie in the sky, uh, demonology exclusively type of thing. It is real. I, I tell you, I know it's real. You get up and start talking about certain things and you'll watch. You'll get real shifty in the service. I've watched people, listen, you go door knocking, knocking the door, start talking about the gospel with someone, all of a sudden the phone rings, the dog's barking, so you say, what is that? That's a real practical thing you can put your hands on and go, this is real. All right, spiritual warfare is real. Number two, it's personal. Why? You've got a personal enemy. The Bible says, your adversary, the devil, (laughs) walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Not, not, Not their adversary, your adversary. You have a personal, whether you realize it or not. Now look, I would much rather have the devil as my enemy than God. 
When you're lost, God is your, you are at enmity with God. That means you and God are not friends. He's not your father. You've not been yet adopted into his family. He wants that for you. But listen, when you get saved, now you've got the right father, but you've got an enemy you didn't have before. And listen, he was always your enemy, but in the sense of understanding that he was your enemy, you didn't see it that way. But it's a personal thing. Uh, thirdly, let me say this. It's eternal. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. The things that are at stake when it comes to spiritual warfare are eternal. They're not just temporal. And the Bible says the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are, are, are eternal. And uh, the problem that we have is we're constantly fixated on things that we can see. My bank account. My 401k. Uh, my retirement. My car. My house. My property. My kids. Listen, all that stuff. Uh, that's, that, that's, if God's blessed you with it, praise God. But let me tell you right now, that is not the end of your life. You know what matters so much more? Eternity. <laughs> look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and look, if you would, at verse uh, number uh, 4. Verse number 4. You know what God's chosen you to be? Whether you realize it or not, he's chosen you to be a soldier. Look at verse 4. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. You've got to be in this world, but remember, you're not of it. All right? Now, look, we all have jobs, Right? If you don't have one, go get one. There's a great uh, pyramid scheme out there. It's called a job, right? Like someone at the top's got money and they give it to you at the bottom, whatever, right? Just go get a job. It's good for your character. Um, that, that's it. I had someone tell me, I want a job, but I just don't want a hard one. I'm like, <laughs> find me the easy one. Let's do that, right? Oh, 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 I want an easy one. No, no, no. You think it's easy because you're not doing it. All right, but, but that said, look, you, we all have jobs, we have bills, we have things to deal with, but you cannot let that be your life. We have relationships, we've got people in our lives that we love and care about, but that can't be your, the Bible says when, when he appears, who is your life? Who's your life? Should be Jesus Christ. See, the way most Christians today do it is, Jesus is my hobby, these things are my life. And the way it should be is, look, I'm not going to get entangled and stuck and living in debt and this and all these things just so I can live uh, 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 the, the life that I want all my friends to think that I'm living. Listen, that's not the way to live life. The way to live life is to be free unto the Lord so you can do what he's asked you to do. You know what that means? You've got to die to some things. And so some of the things that are temporal, you've got to go, look, that's not me. This business, look, if tomorrow the job I was at was gone, do you realize I would still be a child of God? <laughs> I would still be, none of that changes. In other words, you've got to get to a place where you go, you know what, I'm going to divorce myself from the outcomes of everything that I want in this life. He said, you can't entangle yourself with the affairs. He's like, watch this, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. Why can't you get entangled with the affairs of this life? Because if you're entangled in this, you can't get into eternity. Not that you're not saved, but you can't lay hold, as Paul says, on eternal life. All right, so the idea is you're going to be holding on to something. Are you holding on to temporary life or eternal life? And let me say this as well. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Spiritual warfare requires preparation. Spiritual warfare requires preparation. Amen. You know what I've learned? I've learned that one of the most uh, uh, damning lies that a person can believe is a lie that has a little bit of truth in it. Oh, let me try Let's try one. Here, here's one. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. God's not going to pay your bills if you ain't working. I know some of you think, well, I think you should. Well, you think against the Bible. Because, oh, and now it gets real quiet. Yeah, yeah. L listen, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I understand there's people that can't. and they, they, I, they, I'm not talking to them. I'm looking at 18, 19, 20-year-old young men. And the best thing you could do is get a job where you get dirt on your fingernails. Someone yell, hey, there you go. That's when you know you've got one of them in the house. And you've got a boss that just yells at you and treats you like dirt. And, and you go, man, I hate this job. And the Lord's going, it's good for your character. Uh, I, I, think every, I think every young man should get a construction or a lawn mowing job or something where you're just the grunt at some point in your life. I remember one of my first jobs was picking up dog poop in a tire shop. You go, what do you mean a tire shop? The whole yard in the back with all the racks of tires, and the owner had his dog out there. He goes, can you just make sure all the poop? I'm like, I didn't go, this is beneath me. No, it's my job. They would pay me to do it. I'll pick up poop if you want me to. 
If you want to pay me for it, absolutely. You say, why? Because, uh, listen, you don't work, you don't eat. I'm not, I'm not talking about someone that can't be it, they're disabled, whatever. That's a different situation. What I'm getting at is this. We tend to think that if, if it's going to happen, God's going to do it. There are things that God can do that we cannot. In those cases, absolutely. I'm not saying that self-will overrides what God wants. But I am going to say this. God allows you to have a free will for a reason. I'll give you another example. Some of you are kind of looking like, I don't know, preacher. That sounds like contrary to the Bible. Hold on. Jesus heals a man. Tells him to get up and rise up and take up his bed. Well, if you're powerful enough to heal me, why don't you take the bed for me? Well, because I didn't make that mess. You're going to pick that mess up. Okay, I mean, there's all kinds of examples like that. That's not the only time he does that. You know, he tells another man in another place, rise up, take up that bed. Well, he says it more than once. One time it's the guy that gets uh, lowered to the roof of a house. Uh, one time it's another man that's lame uh, sitting at the, at the gate. Listen, the point is this. There are things that we think about the Lord. Oh, here's another one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And someone thinks that verse is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. There's just things that we think are, are, are like gospel truth that aren't. If God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Let me tell you something, all right? If you don't have the guts, young men, to go talk to a girl and look at her in the eye and, and like, have a real conversation, there's a good chance you may never get a wife. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing, okay? So you may, you go, Lord, bring me a wife. Lord, bring me a wife. You ain't Adam in the Garden of Eden, <laughs> You may have to go and look a little bit. Go to church. I don't mean, you know, scan the, oh, what about her? Don't be a creep and a weirdo, all right? What I am saying is that there's things that you've got to do. If you want God to work, it'd be like this. Look, guys, if we said, God, give us a piano, God, give us a piano, God, give us a piano, and the Lord's like, well, you, maybe you should start tithing. I really wish we could get into a building. What are you doing about it? Uh, oh, preacher, now you're talking about giving. Now you're legal. No, 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 I'm just saying, these are things we, well, God's going to get us there. God will use things that he's put in your hands. <laughs> Moses, what do you got in your hand? Oh, just a stick, right? Throws it down, becomes a serpent. You say, what does God do with that? He makes miracles out of a stick, but Moses had to be willing to drop what was in his hand. <laughs> what I'm getting at is this. We, we tend to think that if, if God just wants to, listen, God, uh, Lord, would you help me get through this victory? What are you willing to do to put on the armor? Luke 14, look if you would at verse number 31. Luke 14, look at verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is, we had a great way off, he sent an ambassador and desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whomsoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. In other words, you've got to learn to count the cost. You know what that takes? Preparation. And you know what blows my mind? And I, don't, I, think you, I think if you have the ability to go on a vacation, you ought to go. If you have the, the chance to go to some exotic place for your family, take them. You get to go to Disney, go, go to Disney. Go to Universal. I know some spiritual giant here. Oh, you should go to Disney. Fine. Find some other place that you think is good and go there. Fine. Whatever. Go somewhere. That's a good thing to do. I'm not against that. I don't think God's against that. But you know what that takes? Planning. You don't just wake up and go, let's go over here, you know, across the country, across the world the week before. That's not usually how that's done. Some of you will plan your vacations a year in advance, and I'm not against it, but hear me out. You're willing to plan all of that, plan your future at your job, plan your retirement. Then when it comes to spiritual matters, like, let's just see what God does. God's waiting for you to do some things. Now, listen, you, you are to take the whole armor of God. You know what that is? That is an action word. Why? Because you are to withstand uh, the wiles of the devil. You are to do all that you can do to stand in the evil day. You are to have your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of rights. You know what those are? Those are action words. Those are what we call in grammar verbs. It's you doing something. God has supplied the material through Jesus Christ and being a born-again child of God through the Spirit of God, but you've got to put it on. Listen, let's be honest. We do not float out of bed in the morning like spiritual giants. Can I get a witness? Normally, you get out of bed, and you're grumbling about your aches, and you're grumbling about this, and if, if it's not that, you're going, if you're happy, it's because you're, oh, look at that cat. <laughs> 
We're not a spiritual, you don't wake up spiritual giant. That's not how that works. You know what you have to learn to do? Lord, I want to submit my flesh to you today. And look in the mirror and go, that's the problem. And, and say, Lord, I, I, my mind's going over here. But I know you want my, my mind over here. And I get my Bible open, but I also put my phone right next to me, and I'm just curious, oh, did they ever write me back? Before you know it, 30 minutes of reels goes by, and you've not read the book. Oh, am I, am I getting too close to the corn now? Am I in the field right now? Are we getting close? Am I, can, does this not make some sense? So you know what you have to learn to do? You have to learn to do some things in your life if you want to grow and, and be able to have the advantage of being a prepared spiritual warrior. Listen, if, if we had our, our, our troops... Now, you, you take some kid out of high school, 18, 19 years old, and you just drop him in a war zone. No basic training, nothing. Just good luck. You're an American. Go fight for your country. It's not going to go well. Right. You know how hard it is even after all the training? You need this. I need this. Because there are things that we are fighting that sometimes you don't see, you don't see everybody's battles. No. No. Some folks come to church, and boy, they're bloodied, and they're bruised, and they're hurting. I'm just, I think it's a miracle every time anyone comes to church. But I'm going to say this much. You could, you could win some more battles than you are right now. But you have to learn to put the armor on. And the armor we're going to talk about is something that protects your heart. And let me just say right now, I'm not talking about the organ that beats. Now, what Paul does is he uses an illustration of, of physical things. Wrestling. Talks about wrestling. Talks about, I'm not going to be as one that beateth the air. In other words, I'm not shadow boxing. When I punch spiritually, I'm going to hit something. He talks about running a race. These are physical, athletic things. He takes those things that were part of the culture in that day. By the way, uh, the church of Ephesus, if you know anything about them, they, uh, they were uh, given over to the Roman Empire, 129 B.C., by a certain king. And on his deathbed, his dying wish was that this city would be turned over to the Romans. And so the Romans, from the time that, of 129 B.C., the time that Paul writes this, it's about 200 years and in 200 years, you know what happens in a culture? People absorb the culture that's around them. And so Roman culture was at its height when Paul's writing this. And so Paul's saying, look, I know that you'll understand this if I lay it out. In the marketplace, you know what they saw? Soldiers. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, to go to collect taxes, you know what they sent? Soldiers. When there was rebellions and there was issues in the country, you know who they would send in? Soldiers. And so there was a respect and an admiration for those in the military. Even if they didn't like them, they looked at them and said, man, that's a soldier. So Paul goes, hey, you seen that armor that you see on those soldiers? That's what I want for you spiritually. And he talks about that breastplate of righteousness. Why? Why the, I've got really two simple points tonight. One has to do with what the, 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 the matter that's being protected by the armor. You say, what's the matter? The old saying is this. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And let me tell you something. You know what most of your problems come from? It comes from within. And let me tell you, you know what the devil wants to get at? He wants to get right there. You see why? If he can get that, let me tell you something right now. God doesn't so much care about your checkbook or your calendar. You know what God wants? He wants your heart. He has your heart. He's got everything else. It, it, and let me say this. If the devil, oh, the devil, I'm saved. The devil can't get my heart. Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Uh, I, I love it when people infer things that aren't in the Bible. <laughs> you know, I showed someone this one time. They go, well, uh, maybe they weren't saved. It's not how Paul dealt with them. It's not how Peter dealt with them. Uh, you know, there's a guy that, that uh, convi uh, con uh, uh, commits a sin that's so heinous that when Paul describes it, he goes, even the Gentiles don't talk about this stuff. The lost heathen, right? You know what that man was doing? He was committing fornication with his father's wife. He goes, man, this is so bad. And you know what, the, you know what Paul does? You know what some of you would do? Oh, he can't be saved. I know, because you, you're the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> you, know, you know what Paul does? He goes, if a man is called a brother, you know how you deal with him? As a brother. You know what Peter's dealing with? He's dealing with, if you, if you were to go back to Acts, you don't have to read the whole chapter, but if you look back at Acts 4, look at, the, look at the end of the chapter. You know what's going on there? There's a man that's full of the Holy Ghost. He's full of everything that's right. His name is Barnabas. His name means the son of consolation. And God uses him in such a miraculous way. Without Barnabas, you don't have Paul. You don't have half your New Testament. You may not think Barnabas is a big deal because he's not the one that all the chapels are named after, but he's a big deal. 
And you know what that shows you? you, can, you know, in God's eyes, you can be a big deal and nobody notice you. You don't have to have your name in the sword of the Lord or Bible leader bulletin or anything else. If, if you're doing what God wants you to do, God will use that. And that's Barnabas. And so what Barnabas does, he sells his house and his land, and he lays that gift at the apostles' feet. Takes all that money that was uh, from the land that was sold, and he lays it at the apostles' feet. He goes, you guys do with it. It is now the, 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 in God's hands, and I want the church to be blessed by it. Therefore, I'm laying it at your feet. So some people see that, and they go, oh, that's how you get noticed. So Ananias and Sapphira, they get this idea. Look at you, what at verse number one. But a certain man named Ananias, who is Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine what? Saved guy. I'll give you a million bucks if you can prove he's not saved. You know why I'll tell you that? Because you can't prove he's not saved. You know how Peter deals with him? Like a saved brother. And you know what happens? That man, now look, the point of the message is not if you don't give all your money to God, you're going to die. It's not the message. That's not even the point in the passage. The point in the passage is don't lie to the Holy Ghost. Question, he's a Christian lying to the Spirit of God from within him. Well, what was it that influenced him? Uh, get thee behind me. Who's he talking to when he says that? Peter. Well, you know what you learn from that? You know what you learn? Is that sometimes you can be influenced right here. And this affects everything else. You know what it says in Proverbs? Keep thy heart with all diligence. You know what diligence means? Action. I've got to do something. I've got to watch it. I've got to guard it. I've got to put on something to cover it. Why? Because this is the most vulnerable part of me. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, you know what he calls this breastplate? He calls it the breastplate of righteousness. Now look, the, the, the word is righteousness. I, I don't want to take and change it, but you know the closest word I can find in the New Testament to it? Virtue. Uh, look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. When we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, I, I, I want to I explain this. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and look if you would at verse number 5. Again, here's this idea that when I get saved, it's not automatically all done. There's one part of your life that was handled by the Lord completely. You know what that one part is? Your salvation. You could not save yourself. Amen? Amen. You could not do that. There's no way you had enough power of yourself. Be a good enough person. You're good outweigh your bad. It doesn't work that way. You are measured against a perfect standard. And if you died without Christ, you would die in your own righteousness. That's the key word. And you would go to hell. And Jesus Christ stepped in and said, I'll make the payment. I will give him my righteousness. Thank God for that. I will impute my righteousness unto him. And, and, and listen, because of that, you can now live out your Christian life. However, understand this, your faith is the foundation. Look at 2 Peter 1, look at verse 5. And beside all this, beside this, giving all what? That's effort, guys. That's effort. Now, you don't have to do this. I'm just using it as an illustration. We got a penny system at our house. And Emma can tell you all about it and how unfair it is. Right? I can see that face already. Ah, that stupid penny system. <laughs> well, when you do a job and you don't do it well and you do lazy execution, we take a penny away. When you go out of your way and you do an ex excellent job, we give you extra pennies. You see what the pennies were? They can trade them in for. You know, 30 minutes of talking to my friend, or you go to the mo whatever the thing that th they want to do is. They can trade them in for certain things. It's kind of a value system thing. But you know what the idea is? It takes some diligence and effort to gain them. It's not automatic. Listen, there are things that are automatic in my house if you're my kid. I will feed you. You don't have to earn that. I'll feed you. You're my child. I will clothe you. I will protect you. Bad man comes in at night, boom, boom, he goes away. All right? <laughs> Right? So those are things that I'll do for you because you're my kid. You know what I'm not going to do for you automatically because you're my kid? Spoil you rotten. You may have to work for some things. Because guess what? When you leave the house, no one's going to be like, oh, you're just, you're Adrian's kid. Oh, my goodness. In that case, we're going to pay you twice as much. <laughs> no, forget about it. It's not going to happen. So it's good for them to learn, earn some things. Listen, can I say this? They have to put some effort and diligence into it to get the value out of it. So, so notice what, what Peter says here. He says to add to your faith. You know what that means? Okay, I'm saved now. Well, guess what? That's not the end of my Christian life. That's the beginning. Yeah. There's some things that I, listen, 
if you were a gossip before you got saved, maybe, I'm just saying maybe, you might struggle with gossiping after you get saved. If you were a stoner before you got saved, you might struggle with letting go of drugs after you get saved. Listen, if you were living in fornication and whatever else, you might struggle. I'm not making excuses or justifying sin. Anyone in here that goes, oh, no, no, no. Once you get saved, it's all, no more problem. Yeah, show me that. Paul says in Romans 7, the things that I would not, those things I do. And the things that I would, those things I do not. Written by the most spiritual Christian that ever lived. Don't tell me you got it all figured out because you got saved. It is a battle, and the battle rages from within. And so, so listen, Peter says it like this, add to your faith. And he gives you a list of things. You know what the first thing is in that list? Virtue, even before knowledge. You say, why? Knowledge is what Eve wanted, but she didn't want to go about it with a virtuous way. And look at where we are now. Right? God go, hey, knowledge puff it up, but charity it up. I'm not saying you don't be a you know, biblical ignoramus. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is virtue has to come first. If I cram knowledge in you without, listen, the virtue is described in the 1828 dictionary as moral goodness. If I put knowledge in you without moral goodness, you will be proud and self-righteous and useless for God. You know what has to come first? Virtue. So you know what what Paul says when he's describing this thing? He goes, hey, first thing is have your loins girded about with truth. Why? You need truth as a foundation of your life. You can't have righteousness without truth. Look, look, these things go hand in hand. But listen, to protect this, you need to have some moral goodness, some virtue, some righteousness. And you go, well, I thought if I'm saved, I don't have any righteousness. Well, hear me out. When you got saved, you know what the Lord did? He gave you his righteousness. But you know what it says over in Philippians? It says to work out, not work for if you're here and you're not saved, you can't work for your salvation. But you do what God puts inside of you. He goes, hey, let's work that out. Do you know what happens when you work out physically? Cells regenerate in the physical body. Okay? You seem to look at me going, I don't think you've ever done that, so how would you know? It's called be middle-aged. Pray for me, all right? But, but, but all joking aside, when you work out physically, cells regenerate. You realize when you do that spiritually, it's kind of the same idea. You are to take what God has put inside of you and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now work this out. You know what God put in you? His perfect righteousness. Amen. Watch it. His holiness. Amen. His moral, his virtue. And God says, I want you to put that on. We, we live in a day and age where holiness is kind of looked at like an old-fashioned word. Yeah. You know, like holier than thou is the only way people know how to use the word holy. But guys, can I point out, you got a holy Bible. And you have a Holy Spirit living within you. And and when you are walking with God, the ground on which you walk should be holy ground, no different than Moses did in the backside of the desert. Holiness is not a bad thing. Righteousness is not a bad thing. Self-righteousness is a different problem altogether. But righteousness, the righteousness of God being displayed in your life, and you saying, look, there's some things I need to have my heart covered. You know what will happen after a while if you don't do that? You will start justifying things that you know are wrong. And you go, well, it's not, I mean, I'm saved, and you know, I don't want to be a legalist, and I don't want to be, you know, uh, that, that forceful with my standards, and I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And, and listen, let me just say right now, if you've never read this verse before, and you've never memorized a verse, and you're a new Christian, can I give you Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Your heart will lie to you. I know every Disney princess told you to follow your heart. All right, but, but, but they never show you what happens after they kiss and get married. You never know, right? It could be a complete train wreck, all right? Here, here's what I can tell you. God does not tell you to follow your heart. He tells you to give him your heart. Can I say that your heart can be stolen? Absalom stole the hearts of the children of Israel. Can I say that your heart can be affected by what you allow into your eyes? Lamentation says, mine eye affecteth my heart. Can I say your heart can be grieved? Maybe some of you came here tonight with a grieving heart. I don't know. It can be filled by the devil. Acts 5. You know what I've learned about the heart? It is the seat of all desires and affections and 
and, and really even emotions, right? And, and so because of that, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Matthew 6, 21. And, and so basically, whatever you set your heart on, and let me tell you, here's how your heart is influenced. It's influenced by images. Oh, be careful, little lies, what you see. It's influenced by words. And you know what happens? Those images go into your heart, and it forms into words and thoughts, and eventually, you know what happens? That heart executes on that. Well, think about this. You know the devil, one of the greatest ploys of the devil in your life? Some of you are dealing with this right now. If you're honest with God, you'd say, yep, that's me. Is there something that you think, I should have that? I need that. I deserve that. I don't deserve this. You know, think about this. The Bible says that God put the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where? In the garden. Where at? In the midst. That means in the middle. Okay? Okay, so you know what that meant? She had to walk by every other tree that she could eat from. Are you with me? Before she got to that one. She walked past everything else God had blessed her with to get to the one thing God said, not for you. And that's how the devil got her. And he still works the same way today. And you'll hear these things in your heart, and you'll, hear these, you'll get these thoughts. You'll start listening to the wrong voice. You'll consider that voice. You'll start feeling like you're missing out. And eventually, you know what you do? You find a way to get what you want. And boy, your heart is unprotected, and you are out left field. Can I, show, can I illustrate it this way? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. God cares so much about your heart. You know, I've learned this. Most people, not, not, not everyone, but most people that, that leave church, I don't just mean here, I just mean in general. Been around churches for a while, a couple decades, and you know I've learned? Most people that leave Bible-believing churches, you know what, you know, it's not usually doctrine. Every once in a while you get a weirdo that gets off in left field because he lives on YouTube, all right? But, but outside of that, for the most part, do you know what gets people out of church? Bitterness in their heart. Envy in their heart. How come they have that? How come they went on vacation? How come, they, how come people know them? Why am I not known like they are? Anger. You know the Bible says anger resteth. You know what it means to rest somewhere? It means you're comfortable. Watch it. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth. You see the progression? in the seat of the scornful. He's getting comfortable. Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Well, you don't know. She knows how to push my buttons. Okay, I'll give you that. That doesn't explain why anger is resting in you. Are you with me? You see, what is that? That's a heart issue. Resentment. Frustration. You ought to watch out for your heart. Be careful. God cares so much more about it than you realize. I think God, the things that God values, we don't value enough. And oftentimes the things that we think are a big deal, God could care less about. I, and I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to tell you a story. Someone reached out to me and said, Pastor, what is your position on X? And, uh, and this is someone I've never met before in my life. And to be fair... It was a very cordial conversation. It wasn't mean, nasty, ugly, or anything like that. Matter of fact, I have some people here that can attest to this to let you know what, none of that stuff went on. But you know what I told this person? I said, brother, I said, you don't know me. I don't know you. I am a line of texts coming through on your email right now. You don't know me. I have a hard enough time teaching Bible doctrine to people that sit in my church week in and week out. I can't teach you something over email. And furthermore, if you already know what my position is, and it's not your position, you know, we're probably headed for some contention. And the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. So you know what, you know, you know what a young man wants to do? I'm going to prove I'm right. I know the Bible. Who they think to know? I know more Bible. I know. Man, if that's where you're at, you don't understand ministry. 
I'm not here to prove how much Bible I know. I'm here to help you. You know what, ha- you know what I do when someone comes to me and they go, well, I don't agree. I say, okay. Well, me, you, you don't want to debate? Nope. Well, I, don't, I think you're an idiot because, okay. Well, you're teaching people, and I think you're a deceiver. All right. You say, why? I don't need to prove anything to you. And I don't say that out of pride. I mean, that's not, my, that's not the goal of ministry. The goal of ministry is to take that which is broken and make it whole. Take that which is grieving and give it joy. Take that which is, is forlorn and without hope and without God and give them hope and give them God. <laughs> that's what ministry is. You say, what are you mentioning all this? What I'm trying to get you to understand is as it relates to the Christian life, the things that we oftentimes value, God does not. I'm going to prove I'm right. And God's like, well, I'm out of here. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. You say, what is this? This is not deep. I was teaching. I did a little bit of math with uh, Preston today. And here's what I know. You know what comes before 12? 11. You know what happens in chapter 11? You know the story. David sees Bathsheba, that whole mess. Right? When Nathan comes and confronts him, can I, can I, can I show you what Nathan likens David's situation to? Look at 2 Samuel 12, and look, if you would, at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and verse number 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. By the way, sometimes... God puts people in your life that you don't want there because they're going to tell you something you don't want to hear. But if God sends them, you might want to listen. The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said to him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up. And they grew up together with him and with his children. And he did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, lay in his own bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler. I wonder why he refers to the lamb as a daughter and feminine. You think is what happened in chapter 11, maybe? Look at verse number uh, 4. And there came a traveler. Let me just say this. You know what your flesh is? Your flesh is a traveler. I got to have it. I got to have it. I need it. I deserve it. Uh, uh. Right? You ever watch commercials? You deserve it. You know why they're telling you that? Because you're, you're, you're the sucker. You're going to buy their stuff. That's why they're telling you that, and your flesh lives that way. What can I get right now? And this traveler comes under the rich man. He's spared to take of his own flock and his own herd. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me the rich guy that had everything ends up stealing the one little lamb from the poor man? The answer is yes. Why? Because it's still, what I have is still not enough. I want that. You say, what is that? That's Eve in the garden. Ladies, would you like to have a man that's perfect? Now, I'm going to be real careful how I frame this. I mean, he's chiseled. He's got rock-solid abs. Don't start, stop fainting, ladies. Stop fainting. <laughs> he never has to leave the house. He works from home. He's remote working all the time. He's there to help you. He's there to be there for you all the time. He knows your emotions. He can be there. He can, he can take it all in. He had everything she wanted, and it wasn't enough. You say, what is that? You've got to surround this with moral goodness and virtue from the Lord. You've got to protect this and say, Lord, I want your righteousness working out of my life. I want to cover this. You know what happens? Remember Absalom steals the heart of the people? Boy, what an irony that is. The Bible says he stole the hearts of the people. You know how that guy dies? He's hanging in the tree by his hair, beautiful hair, you know? And Joab takes three darts and throws them, guess where? Isn't that something? He stole the hearts of the people and thought he was getting everything he wanted. And it was the death of him. See, when you follow your heart, it's the death of you. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you have to learn to do. Now look, there's things going on in your heart nobody sees. We Listen to me carefully. I am not Father Adrian. Do not confess them to me. I'm serious. There's one Father in heaven that can take all that burden and load, and his name ain't Adrian. Amen. <laughs> all right? You know what? There's only one being in this universe that can carry that load for you, and it's, not, and it's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's that meteor. He's that high priest for us. 
But let me tell you something. You know what you'd be, some of you would be really good to do tonight? Say, Lord, there's some stuff in there. Man, I'd say one of the most dangerous things as a Christian is you learn after a while how to cover things. And uh, you don't want to live that way. You want to expose it. And then once that, that, that thing's exposed to the Lord, you cover that thing up. Not the world doesn't need to know it. It's between you and the Lord. And you say, okay, Lord, let's guard. Lord, would you help me guard this? Because this has been the thing that's been guiding me everywhere. And I want it to be you. Your heart can be stony. The Bible says, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. But you know what I love about that? The Lord says he, he gives the nation of Israel when he comes back and all the stuff going on with Israel right now. Don't get too wrapped up in it. Uh, listen, when you hear a trumpet and you hear your name, then get ready to go. All right? But, but I'll just say this much. It's getting ready for something. You know what it's getting ready for? It's for the Lord to come back and establish his kingdom on the earth and restore that nation unto himself. And when he does that, gentlemen, can you flippity-flip slide number two? Can you, do you know how to do that? You've watched it enough. Who thinks they can do it? Anybody? Okay, there we go. Look at that. Look at that. All right. Yes. Yes. Lenny's like, I'm never coming back to church again. Go to Isaiah chapter 59. Can I show you something that's really neat from the Old Testament? Isaiah chapter 59. You know what we're getting ready for? We're getting ready for the Lord to come back and get us out of here. And even so, come Lord Jesus, uh, I, I'm not so much looking to know who the Antichrist is. I just want the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. I really do. Uh, I think you can find out who he is. The Bible says you can know some of those things. And there's a great picture at the Lord's Supper about that, the Last Supper, excuse me. Uh, however, I'm, I'm really more keen on trying to see my Savior. That's what I want to see. Now, that said, uh, let me just say this much. When it comes to righteousness in the Old Testament, uh, it's different than the New Testament. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, one is based on the law. The, 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 the premise itself is different than the New Testament premise. The law is the premise for the Old Testament. Do you know what the premise for the New Testament is? It's Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. It's the fulfillment of the law in a body. <laughs> all right? The Old Testament didn't have that. You don't have that till he comes. If it's the same all the way through, why would you need to replace this with this? This, is, this replaces this because this is not as good as this. You read about that. The word better shows up in Hebrews than any other book, more than any other book in the New Testament. Better this, better priesthood, better sacrifice, better covenant, better, me, better mediator, all that stuff. All right, this replaces this. The, the, the standard of righteousness in the Old Testament oftentimes was a man's righteousness based on the law. That's why it says about Zacharias and, and uh, John the Baptist's parents, it says about them, they were blameless according to the law. <laughs> All right, that was the standard. Now the standard is Jesus Christ, and guess what? We all fall short. The only shot you have of having that kind of righteousness is for him to give it to you. <laughs> and he did that when you got saved. So now you can work it out. But look at Isaiah 59, and let me just show you something. Uh, Isaiah 59, by the way, we're going to read this. Uh, it's beyond the church. It's beyond the rapture. It's beyond the tribulation. It's when the Lord comes back. Look at Revel to, to establish his kingdom, Isaiah 59. Look, if you would, at verse number 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his what? It sustained him. You know who that man is? It's the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself coming back at the battle of Armageddon. You say, hey, no, look at verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a... Well, well, well. Do you know what you're reading in Paul's writings? Paul takes something from the Old Testament. He goes, let me apply this to you New Testament Christians. And let me tell you what the Lord is going to do when he comes back to fight the greatest enemy of all time. If you're going to have a shot at winning this day in and day out, you better learn to do the same thing. That's true. He says, hey, I'll apply this in the New Testament side, but let me tell you, this is prophecy from the olden days about something that still hasn't happened. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back on that white horse, coming, out, you believe all that white horse? Yes, I do. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like I believe that, that the Lord spoke and the world showed up. Yes. All right. He's going to come back and establish his kingdom on the earth. And when he suits up, you know what he puts on? Yeah, he's going, well, he, he speaks the words of God and the sword of the spirit comes out of his mouth. Yeah, that's the offensive side. But he puts on righteousness as a what? As a breastplate. Now, let me tell you something. If the sinless son of God and a glorified body can do that, 
and he's doing that to go to battle with the Antichrist and the devil himself, you better learn to do it on a daily basis. Christian, you know what I'm trying to get you to understand? This, uh, this matter of your heart, it's a big deal. And God wants to protect it. Listen to me, though. He won't do it against your will. Your will has to be engaged with his. I've had people say for, I don't know, years, I just want to know the will of God for my life. I want to know the will of God for my life. I appreciate that. But can I give you a little piece of advice? If God tells you, so, look, you say, I want to know, does God want me to go to the mission field? Maybe. I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. If you're not a thankful, grateful person, you're not going. Amen. You're not going to hear him say it. You know why? Because he put in black and white and everything give thanks for this is the will of God. If you're living in fornication as a child of God and you're sleeping around, God's not going to tell you, should I go to the mission field? Should I go to Bible school? I? No, he's not going to waste his time there. You're not doing what he already told you to do. He says this. He says that everyone should know how to possess his vessel in honor and sanctification to flee fornication. Why? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So you know what I'm trying to get you to understand? God wants to work in your life. God wants you to be powerful. God wants you to have strength and be strong in the Lord. He's giving you the resources. You've got to put them on. Let me close with this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. Lenny, can I ask a favor, buddy? I appreciate it. I know I pick on you guys because I love you. Can you just slide that thing right back in there? Just right in the corner. Thank you, sir. Ephesians chapter 4. And... Uh, Look, if you would, at verse number, I'm sorry, all the way into the corner. My bad, the whole board. Yeah, sorry about that. I was not clear. That's not on him. That's on me. Ephesians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 24. Uh, question. Who here thinks you should put on a new pair of clothes every day? Okay. Uh, let me tell you, my boys may not agree with you on that. Uh, and I know when... When boys first start coming to camp, when they're like 13, they don't care. They're, they'll put a towel that's nasty and fungus-smelling, and they'll leave it in the shower room on the floor and use it again. Disgusting. But right around the 15, 16 mark, age mark, they start going, oh, ladies don't like me stinky. I've watched this over the years. Can I get a witness? And, and Brother Jose, you've been there. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. That Cheeto funky smell. Yeah. And it wasn't Cheetos, man. It wasn't Cheetos. And, and so, sorry, we've been to camp together for years dealing with this. Right? We're just trauma, uh, dealing with trauma right now. But, but the, the idea is this. You believe you ought to change your clothes. You don't wear the same thing every day. You put on something fresh. It's the right thing to do. Look at Ephesians 4 and look at verse number 24. You know what you wake up with every single day? The old man the flesh, the old nature. And the Lord wants you to put on something new. Amen. Look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse number 24. And that you put on the what? Amen. Which after God is created in all. What's it created in? Hmm. You know why it's true holiness? It's not you. Amen. It's him. You, you don't become righteous simply by having a list of things that you will and will not do. That'll make you a legalist. Let me also say this. You will never be righteous without saying, Lord, if you were in this body right now, how would you respond? Would you post that? Would you say that? Would you go there? Would you be with them? Would you act like this was normal? Lord, how would you respond to this? See, what is that? That's putting on a different person. And then, check this out, when people see the changes in your life, they don't just go, oh, man, Johnny sure is a good kid. You know what they say? He got Jesus. Yep. Christian, put on that breastplate. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come to you tonight. And uh, we, we bow the knee. We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, what I'm, I'm hoping and and. and praying, Lord, is that your people's hearts would be sensitive. Lord, I, I pray that our hearts would not be hardened. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help 
your people be determined tonight to put on the breastplate of righteousness to cover that heart, to not leave it exposed to the wiles of the devil. Lord, I know this much. If you have our hearts, you got everything else. And Lord, this matters to you so much. You mention it so often in your scriptures. Lord, I pray that every child of God in here would at least walk away with, if nothing else, a renewed sense of why this matters, of why protecting the heart matters to you. And maybe a determination and a willingness to submit their heart to you. Christian, let me just ask you, what, what are your... What are your wants? What are your desires? It doesn't mean they're all bad. But can I say they ought to be submitted to the Lord? If your heart's kind of directing you instead of the Lord doing it, boy, armor up. Maybe your heart is, is hurting and you've heard the devil whisper those doubts into your heart. God's done with you. They don't love you doesn't matter whether you go to church or not. Put that book down. It's no big deal. Let me tell you something right now. The most dangerous thing you could do is harden your heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. And it gets so bad that God goes, look, buddy, if you're going to keep doing it to yourself, I'll just pile on. You know what this world needs to see? Some Christians whose hearts are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. The material of the armor is the righteousness of God. It's you allowing His righteousness to be manifested in your life. You know what that might mean? It might mean there's some things that have to be purged. They gotta go. You cannot, you cannot always get closer to the Lord and hold on to everything that you have in your heart. Some things have to go. Can I just say this? When Jesus Christ went into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil and he won that battle, do you know what he was? He was physically hungry, but he was spiritually full of the Holy Ghost. Let these pray here. Christians, I'm going to encourage you to do something real quick. Grab your Bibles. Those of you that aren't at the altar, let them pray. We're not rushing them. But grab your Bibles real quick. Let me show you something. Take your time at the altar. We're not rushing you. Look at Genesis chapter 7. Do you realize the first time the word righteous shows up in your Bible? is in Genesis chapter 7. And it's an interesting place. We, we call this in Bible study the, the law of first mention, right? So look at Genesis chapter 7. Look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen what? First time righteous shows up in the Bible, you know what's connected with? The protection of God. I know the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of typology there, but I, if I could give you one thought in closing tonight, you want to protect this? It takes true holiness and righteousness. Not, not you thinking of how righteous you are, but Lord, I want your goodness on display. I want that to be what covers me. That is my identity, not my job, my family, not my stuff. Are you hearing me? We look at all the people who are struggling with trans stuff. You know what the issue is? The issue is identity. What am I? Who am I? And look, if you're a child of God, you know what ought to be on display? Him. Amen. Thank you, brother.
Amen. Hope you got something out of the Word of God tonight. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday at 10 a.m. for Sunday school. All right, we'll be back in the Gospel of John. All right, going verse by verse. We're in John chapter 5 now, which is a miracle. Amen. Uh, And so we will keep trucking. Hope you can make it for that. Um, And uh, listen, if you've got someone that could could use being here Sunday, reach out to them. Be an encouragement to them. Can I encourage you? Reach out to Miss Cindy. Reach out to Miss Joyce. Let those ladies know that you love them. Um, I don't normally do this. Maybe even do that for my wife. She's just wore out, not feeling well, is not quite sure what's going on with her body. Uh, and no, 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 no. <laughs> it isn't that thing. She is not pregnant, all right? She's not pregnant. Uh, we are sure of that. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why, but we are sure. Um, so if you would, though, pray for these ladies that weren't here tonight, and we'll see you Sunday morning. Let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer. Uh, Brother uh, Steon, if you would uh, close this out in a word of prayer tonight.